On today's Player Pool podcast, we are two days away from the start of the 2023 NFL football season. Five days away from the first main slate on Sunday. We have a lot to cover still. Today's episode, we're going over game stacks and correlation, fine-tuning, and making more tips on that process we, we discussed in part one of last episode. Then we're going to talk about projection sites, which ones to use, and how to use them. We're going to talk about contest selection. Which contests are we targeting? And at which stage of your career, beginner, intermediate, advanced, how many contests should you be entering? What it looks like? And finally, we got to talk about our player pool journal and how to deal with failure in DFS. It makes us better. Let's cannonball into this episode. The biggest splash gets the biggest points. It's the Player Pool Podcast with your host, Austin Raboyne. Welcome back to the player pool. We're glad you're here. This is the final episode before we get geared up on Friday for week one's main slate. Make sure that you are following us on our socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at player pool pod. Also, as we approach the beginning of the year, don't be bashful. Make sure you shoot me an email or reaching out for any clarifications or any questions you may have on the player pool process. I'm not going to come in and, and pick your players for you, but I want to make sure that if there's any kinks or any any unsurety in the player pool process, I want you to at least be able to crank out your lineups and not have some kind of fatal flaw in there. So don't be bashful. Holler if you need any help with the process. And I've I've gotten a lot of good questions so far. So starting off today, we need to wrap up our conversation on stacking in correlation we alluded to that we talked about it a lot last episode when we were walking through especially the quarterback stacked builds but even with the naked quarterback builds as well so i want to emphasize that not every single lineup is just a game of correlation you will have single guys in your lineups and you don't need to be bending over backwards to make sure everything correlates in your lineup but when it's there when the game script shows you that that stack would be beneficial. That's where you would like to at least try to make it work. There are game stacks that have bad game scripts attached to them, right? So there's a lot of teams you could stack, a lot of games you could stack, especially in week one, but doesn't necessarily mean you should. I'm going to walk through two examples here. And again, I'm going to keep trying not to show everything to you guys. I want you guys to evaluate and crank out your own lineups, but just as examples as we're learning here in the beginning, there are game stacks or quarterback stacks that I will use almost year-round, and there are some that I think people try to make work for them year-round, and they pay the price. It's unpredictable. There's too many mouths to feed, and it just doesn't pay off. So that's why I say, you know, you got to have a journal. you got to have your player pool and you got to make it every week because that player pool needs to be changing throughout the year as you realize that, you know, for in instance, the Jaguars' uh, fantasy outputs are unpredictable. There's too many mouths to feed her. If there's just a team that keeps burning you that you cannot figure out where the opportunity is going week to week, it's it looks like a stackable thing, but maybe it's something that you just need to stay away from because you, you can't figure that team out. And that's what a lot of DFS is about is, is figuring out these teams almost like they're their own factories. You know, what are they putting out? 
who are they building the the product with the players uh and you know what does this place ultimately want to be able to produce so that's that is kind of the evaluation you do on all of these offenses there's a lot of offenses now that we have no clue what they're going to put out broncos jaguars come to mind raiders i guess it's going to be maybe 11 targets to Devonte adams and nothing else so you if you don't know what the team's trying to do, you're not going to be able, be able to evaluate them. And there are teams throughout the year, they don't even know what they're trying to do. So you're not going to be able to fig, figure them out. And I think as you go through the year, those teams should be fading out of your player pool. Last year I had, I know the Atlanta Falcons last year for me were just a fantasy shadow world for me. I did not go there. They never made my player pool at all. Even Drake London, even when Drake London would drop, the slow, uh, low salary. I just stay away from the teams that aren't predictable. So taking a look at a game and having a feeling of how that game is going to flow. One team coming in and just wrecking the other team. In week one, we're going to have a lot of that because there are a lot of very bad teams. I mean, it looks like the Arizona Cardinals are already trying to tank for Caleb Wills- Williams, and I don't think they'll be alone in that. I think we're going to have three or four absolutely terrible football teams this year in the league so when you are looking at the games the the game flow the game script for that it could look like and i'm going to use the jacksonville indianapolis game as an example it could look like trevor lawrence and company could step in there at indy and light up the scoreboard but think about how that game could flow because yes let's say trevor lawrence steps up two touchdown passes before the the half's over and they're up 21, 24, nothing, or, or 24, seven at halftime. Think about how that's going to flow the next 30 minutes of game time after that, the next two quarters, because in that situation at Jacksonville, you already have ETN and, and Bigsby in the backfield. They could just start handing it to Bigsby and draining out the clock. It's not guaranteed Trevor Lawrence is going to come out second half and keep Throwing it, you know, another 20 times in the half when they're already up like that. So right there, you'll have Ridley, Kirk, and Ingram, who I know people are targeting. All of a sudden, they're going to get less targets than expected. So just because the stack lines up on the opponent doesn't necessarily mean the game flow is going to be going to be great. And then compound that with the Jacksonville situation. Again, you don't know where they're going, especially week one. So I've talked to a good number of you, and I know there's some of you that are going to roll that stack out there uh, at, to some extent. I think Calvin Ridley is attracting people in DFS to the Jaguars like flies. I think everybody wants that Calvin Ridley first big pop-off game and power to you, but I think it's a higher risk to hope that he is one of the four to five options that they actually pump and go to in week one. Uh, I like the bet of just not being involved and losing if it does explode. And the ownership to me is not going to be overweight on any of these guys because everyone's going to kind of be picking their dude they think is going to blow up. So I just, I mean, if you look at it, you got Trevor Lawrence and then you're hoping ETN doesn't get sapped away by Bigsby. No one's going to play Bigsby, right? Everyone's still going to ETN, but you're hoping he doesn't get knocked off from his from his backup. So there's that situation. So then you got Trevor Lawrence and you want to stack him with Ridley or Kirk or both. But again, if they're out in a huge lead and T-Law doesn't need to throw a whole lot more in the second half, those targets get sparser. And can you really, can you really feed both those guys? And let's not forget, maybe he just dumps it off to Evan Ingram for 25 yard touchdown. And then there goes your opportunity. 
Uh, this is a game that you could look at. There's two usable options in DFS. I think that some would, these two options would make most player pools, I think. But Michael Pittman, 6,600, maybe he made your player pool. He didn't make mine. And then a big situation we got to talk about on Friday's show, but Deion Jackson, 5,600 starting running back at that low of a price with not a lot of competition in the backfield. That is borderline lock status for me. I got to look at it more and see who else is behind him and how they could do things. And I do remember Deion was in this, uh, Deion Jackson was in this situation last year at least once, if not twice, and delivered uh, average average results. But at that at that price, that's not necessarily bad. But back to my point, this is a game that looks like you could stack it. I just would say you need to at least think about the game script, think about how it could flow, and is that a positive thing? And if it's not a positive outcome, if this isn't something, you know, it's kind of like these stacks. It's like you're it's like you're slow cooking, you know, a good roast, right? Uh, you know, if you if you just throw it in on the on the on the flames and you just blaze that sucker, it's gonna be charred on the outside. It's gonna look really good, but as soon as you open that baby up, it, it's gonna you know you're not gonna be able to eat it, right? These game stacks, they kind of have to be like a slow cooker where it's all it's 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 all developing all at the same time, right? The outer the outer layer, the inner layer. You want it all to kind of grill, and, and and in these games where one team may just be able to just throw the other team in a bag in the first quarter that's like throwing the roast on the on the blazing grill and just frying the outside because once the offense can pull back and and relax a little bit and just start hammering them on the ground with not even their predominantly rb1 uh you just you lose a lot of air out of that balloon that you thought was going to take off so i just thought this jacksonville indianapolis stack was a good example there's a lot of other good examples of this um, and, and kind of a more lunch pail example I'm, I'm seeing here is this uh, Houston-Baltimore game. Uh, no, everyone thinks Lamar Jackson's coming out like Peyton Manning this year because they have a new offensive coordinator. Maybe. I don't know. But you also have usable pieces on the Texans. So I could see somebody being like, I want Lamar Jackson, and I still can't disrespect my tight end like Austin keeps telling me to, so I'm going to play Mark Andrews. Uh, so I can have a top three guy in that spot. And uh, I'll run that back with Damian Pierce. But that also, to me, is not a good correlation because if Lamar is successful, they've scored a lot of points, now you're asking Damian Pierce to take more carries because they're down? Because, you know, Baltimore, they're I mean, they're huge favorites in that game too. Not every stack is healthy. Not every stack is a slow slow roast, you know, great hunk of meat. Uh, some some correlations and stacks are just are just bad food. Don't eat it. Another tip or correction I guess I need to make is I know I gave a lineup build away last episode and I had in there who did I have I had Justin Herbert and Eckler in there and since then I've seen a lot of lineups being sent to me with quarterback and running back stacks in there. I do want to say the running back stacked with the quarterback. One, it's risky. But two, you need to only do that if you're confident that that running back's seeing in the realm of seven targets. What you're kind of hoping for here is uh, a mixture of the quarterback getting up on that team early and the running back closing the game out getting his points, but also in in the middle there, maybe catching that screen pass or that dump off and and getting that 20-yard touchdown. I will say... Patrick Mahomes last year, who I rarely play in DFS, 
because it's so expensive to stack him and Kelsey, and you have no clue which of the five receivers he might throw to. But last year, a fun little stack I could do was just Mahomes, and I almost played him with that naked quarterback mentality, but I would stack Jarek McKinnon. And middle of the season, late season last year, just a lot of those Mahomes scrambling dump off, you know, inside the 30 yard, you know, inside the 30 yard line, touchdowns with McKinnon. So don't always want to stack running backs with quarterbacks. Sometimes you're even healthier stacking your quarterback, his top receiver. And if he has a bargain bin tight end, just maybe plugging that tight end there. You better hope that the running back that if you do stack with a quarterback, he's got to have sturdy, strong, not just hoping for three targets or five, but easily over five targets a game. You really want to see that. So that's just not uniform either. I, I listened back to the last episode and I was hearing some people's comments and I just, I did not want the takeaway to be, Oh, it's just, everybody's got to be correlated in a lineup. So I wanted to clean some of that up here. Uh, the other thing I have seen now coming up is guys are getting into their builds and it gets tough because you're in these, I need two players. I need three players. And you're really fidgeting with the lineups. And I should have said sometimes at that point, that can take you a long time. It's not, it's not a, like a bad thing if you are stuck on that situation for half an hour, 45 minutes. You know, you have to leave it and come back to it, rebuild the lineup, get back to that point, figure it out. Don't think just because the initial build of the lineup get, goes kind of quickly thanks to the player pool that those final few selections, those 50-50 calls and taking risk on players – that that's supposed to be easy or quick. It's not. Now, here's a fatal flaw I see guys do all the time. They get to this point where it's hard, and instead of working out of the player pool, they go back and they find the salary that works and they plug a guy in that they didn't have in the player pool to begin with. And that is, that's going to kill you. That's going to be the thing that as you go week to week to week, and you should have been getting better. If you're cheating like that and, and going back and getting players that just fit the salary that now you said, okay, because of salary, now I'll consider them. That's, that's not how it's supposed to be done. So the tough decisions at the end of the lineup need to come from your player pool only. There is only two instances where you can add players in for consideration, but they better be written down in your player pool once you've added them in. The two situations are new news or new realization. So new news is easy. It's simple. Uh, injuries opened up. Now we have a new starting wide receiver to, you know, bargain bin price. That's, that's obvious. Injury news open up a lot, of, a lot of different options. New realization. That is, for example, I talked about Marvin Mims Jr. at 4,700 as a value play last episode. That would be like if it's Friday and you made your player pool, but then Saturday afternoon you realize Marvin Mims is out there starting and is at, listed at 4700 That's a new realization. Now, if you went through your player pool and you went through all the games and you were writing it down and you went through, you know, for example, the Cleveland, uh, the, the Bengals-Browns uh, game, and you looked at all their receivers and you didn't add Donovan Peoples-Jones in there, for example – you don't need to go back and plug him in. That is that is the fatal flaw. Do not do that. Get better by learning how to make the tough decisions. DFS is still a game 
of tough decisions. And sometimes you will pick wrong on that coin flip. Sometimes you do have to pick a coin. And I'm going to discuss some things here in a minute that will help put some thumbs on the scale. But that's where all of these icons and and and, ga- and listing guys as studs and or matchup negative, matchup plus. I mean, sometimes I'll make the final call because the weather is supposed to be rainy over here and it's not over here. I You want all these little factors on the scale to help make those these decisions easier. And that's why you need to be focused when you're building the player pool, properly labeling all these players so that when it's this guy versus this guy, you got all the factors right in front of you. But again, give yourself some grace. Know that you may struggle with the final few options building a lineup for a while and that's normal but you got to avoid the temptation of going outside the player pool to get your answer next i want to talk about projection sites i've had this asked a lot and i wanted to be able to put it on the podcast to answer this affirmatively but yes i do use projection sites now They can be used for all sorts of things. And I think the casual player has been kept from developing or learning because of these lineup generators and projection sites. They lean so heavily on them. At the same time, I'm thankful for them and how they're commonly used because it does make the field predictable. And it's easy to see which players are going to have high enough exposure that might warrant my consideration. The projection sites out there, what I use them for is I will use them at the end of building my player pool. For example, on Roto Grinders, I'm going to talk about three projection sites. Roto Grinders, Establish the Run, and a new one that's out there. It's called Really Good Picks. It's ran by a friend of mine named Justin McMahon, and he and a small team are heading that up right now, but pouring in their souls on, on, on on that site. And I'm going to give them a try this year to see how good these projections are. So first, what are they projecting? These projection sites can project points, uh, value, projected value return, projected, I mean, pretty much anything you can think of. I know on Roto Grinders, which I've used uh, a lot in the past, they can show like if there's weather issues or not. It can really lay it all out there before you. And I know a lot of the top of the top pro DFS players that are hunting down big, large field tournaments, heavily rely on projections. I've created the player pool as a separate process. I think it speaks more to the common casual player and gives you a, a fair standing, I guess, against these sharks, against these top players, without being so analytically data-driven, uh, things like that. But it's, it's, there still is the data component. So what I use the projection sites is not to generate a lineup or even plug in the guys I do have and let the the generator take over the rest. I use it for two main purposes. One, I will set the filters on value and see if I just completely missed a guy who is bargain bin this week. He's in a he's in a starting spot and and the price you know his price came out too soon and and he's in a, a spot to crush. So like Deion Jackson basically in, in week one. I will always set the filter to see if anybody's reading 3X at RB or something crazy, just off projections only. So I'll use it to check myself and see if I've missed anybody. The other thing I will do, and this will lead into my the conversation about covering exposures, 
but I will also go position by position, mainly running back, wide receiver, sometimes tight end, but usually I've, I just ignore tight end. But I will check the filters for projected ownership. Now, that does not mean that when I click on projected ownership and there's a player that's projected for 20% ownership, that I'm just automatically putting them in my player pool. But I at least need to acknowledge to myself that I am not betting on that person that week, but the field is. So I could watch them on game day. So an example of this is late last year, TJ Hawkinson, a couple times, I would see that his projection, uh, his projected ownership was going to be 15% plus, which anything 12% or more needs to at least be acknowledged. So there were a few times where I just said, yeah, but I'm not paying up at tight end. I don't care if he's going to be 20% owned. I'll bet against him reaching value. And I paid for that one out of every three times. But that helps that helps your analysis. That helps, honestly, your mental health when you know why you lose. So sometimes I just want to see what the field is leaning heavy on. Because one, it might bring me a new realization. But also it just lets me know where I'm betting and where I'm betting against. So again, I think if you wanted to try a projection site, they come out to about 50 bucks a month. They're all behind paywalls. And the true value isn't so much the projected points or anything else. The true value out of those is the projected ownership and sometimes the projected value return. But the three sites that I would use, you know, Roto Grinders has been around for a long time. So they're kind of like your institution there. I think Establish the Run is ran super well and is very elite now their pricing may be a little bit higher but uh you're going to get a good product and if you want to try the latest and and the newest one out there that i think is responsibly ran and is going to have great effort put into it uh, but really good picks is a good is a good brand to, to give a try this year too so if you're into projection sites my only thing again if you're using the player pool process you have to use these sites appropriately you cannot do a half and half well, i'm going to make my player pool but at the end of the day i'm only going off what these projection sites tell me you're then you're you're just not playing the player pool process and that's fine but be careful because there will come a time where you're going to be wanting to play really hard on sunday but you haven't done a lot of work yet and it's saturday night and it's so easy to click 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 on there they hand you your three lineups and you go from there Still follow the steps of the player pool, but yes, projection sites have really good use. Again, just to let you know if the field knows something that you don't or if there's just a bargain bin value play that you just kind of overlooked. And and, and I that does happen to me a decent amount because usually these bargain bin value plays are coming from those shadow land fantasy teams that I don't consider. So like, you know, Houston in the past has been one. Uh, obviously like Arizona, I mean, James Conner goes down there, you know, there, there may be a undrafted rookie free agent on the ball from them this year. So it does help for that. But beyond that, I think especially casual players that are only putting in a couple hours a week in pre- preparation. I think the casual players that really rely on these projection sites, um, uh, well, you're kind of out, you're not really in control of your own outcome. And, and that's just my just my opinion on it. And there's a lot of ways to play DFS, but especially for the player pool, which really leans on, really leans on the 
users' own evaluations and instincts and, and, and them producing their own lineups. Getting too close to the projection sites might might be a too tempting. So that's all I will say. I got to caveat it, but at the same time, I, I mean, I, I'll be subscribed to a couple this year. I just want to see what's out there, and, and it helps me see the league. Saves me time on my own evaluations sometimes, and I'm not gonna lie. There have been times where I'm such on a dead 50-50 split in a sing, you know, making a player choice that I will sometimes go straight to the projections. So. Just make sure in your decision tree that point comes at the absolute dead end uh, of the of the decision tree and is not what you lead off with. Contest selection, contest selection. This is another big question I've gotten, and it's very, very important in DFS. I would say contest selection and bankroll management kind of go together, not only because obviously you know, how much money is it to play each contest, but you need to stay within bounds while playing your contest. You need to be playing consistently the same contest all year round because each contest, for the most part, requires a different level of thinking, a different type of thinking. Uh, you know, in the, you know again, we, we live off the 100-person leagues, right? But if you're playing the millimaker only, or even if, say, you're mass entering 150 entries into the millimaker, your thinking has to be so much more contrarian and trying to find all of the edge plays uh, right away, it's, it's very risky. I mean, it's boomer bust lineup building when you're playing the large field tournaments. So depending on what contest you're in, that's really going to change your mental processes and how you make your lineups. Now, I will say the player pool process was created and and tested and built mainly off winning these leagues consistently. So everything else, I'm still trying to get better myself, and, and there are many times a year I'm right up there in a lot of big tournaments, but I've never taken down, you know, a big tournament, you know, that's five figures plus. So we're still, still hunting that, a single tournament, you know. So, uh, but contest selection... Very important. First off, I would say, unless you're playing just one lineup, the 50-50s are very enticing to beginning beginner players, but it's the money just doesn't make sense there. You're making less than half your money back if you win. And unlike 10 years ago when I got into to Daily Fantasy, where the 50-50s had a lot lower cash line and it were pretty easy to cash, nowadays the cash line for 50-50s and tournaments is almost the same. Uh, the 50-50 cash line is usually within eight points of the cash line for tournaments. So uh, my opinion is the 50-50s have kind of lost their their appeal completely until these DFS sites maybe try to tier it more towards a, an account's experience. But So I again, the player pool doesn't really build 50-50 lineups. Uh, so... The main thing, again, we're playing those 100-person leagues where it's top 12 cash, and you can enter three lineups of your own into these leagues. I like that because you're not going up against 99, then that way you're going against 97. Uh, maybe even less because a lot of people will enter multiples. So you really could be playing against you know, 30, 40 people. So that's where you need to begin. So the beginner stage of contest selection, I would say, is you could play just 5 bucks a week, a dollar a lineup, in one dollar leagues now 
let's talk about the timing of when you enter these leagues. So the closer to game time, let's say you're only playing $5. So that'll be really easy for you to get into all your entries. I would advise you to enter, especially in the first month of the season, enter all your leagues at 9.30 a.m. Central Time. That's where I'm at, Central Time. Uh, but 9.30 or between 9.30 and 10.30 before kickoff because that is the window where the most casual players, the most guys who just want to be like, oh, I just want to play today. So they just threw a lineup together and they're entering it in. You're going to have a lot easier fields if you enter those Closer to game time. Now, don't get to the point where they don't fill up before game time and then you don't have that lineup entered. That would be a disaster. But uh, you want to kind of enter those, you know, early Sunday morning, I would say, and, and you'll be good. So that's kind of the beginner stage. You know, you can play, you know, five bucks and you're just playing the leagues only. The intermediate stage, you know, you want to play a couple more contests. This to me would require about 85 bucks a week total that you're putting in. And that's when you're still you still start and you're still playing your your leagues and you're probably playing, you know, more than a dollar league now. You're probably playing five or ten dollars a league. But then the next entry you should be putting in, to me, is the millie millie maker. I mean, if the stars align and your lineup's not in that one, that's just brutal. But also the benefit the millie maker gives us is it's a great test for looking back and seeing what the ownerships were overall across you know across the board across the main slate in, in dfs the millie maker has the most entries has the mo most of all types of players in it so you can really look back and and see what where the ownership really was or actually right at kickoff you can see where the ownership is uh on players so that's beneficial and then another one at intermediate level i like to play often especially when i have five lineups is the flea flicker tournament uh they're in, you know listed in the tournaments on fanduel i i it's a $7 a lineup entry, five entries max. That's good. It kind of that way it keeps you away from the the big sharks who are playing 150 max entries in a tournament. Keep that in mind. I mean, if you're in tournaments that don't have an uh, entry limit, then you're probably playing some of the best players in the world times 150, right? Because they went and they made 150 lineups. So, I try to avoid avoid the the hard competition when it's not necessary, when you don't have to go up against them. So that's the intermediate level, though. You're probably playing at least 85 bucks a week. You need to be playing, as you enter more contests outside of leagues, you need to kind of have proportional amount entered into those leagues. Think of that as your base. But then you're probably playing the Millie Maker and the Flea Flicker. Now, an advanced stage, you know, entry, contest selection, What you know, how much are you in? That's where you're playing about 250 plus a week. And at this point, you're probably playing all the one and two dollar leagues, and you're probably even playing some five and maybe even some ten dollar leagues. Uh, you should probably at this point have about twenty five to fifty bucks just in leagues per lineup, and then you're playing again the Millie Maker, the Flea Flicker, any other tournament that you see that you'd like to be in. But the advanced stage is you're entering multiple leagues at a time uh, and, and really trying to kind of raise the the floor there so that if one of those lineups really hits high, uh, you know, you're paying, you're paying it off. So that's, and then when you're at an advanced level, the timing for me during the season, I'm starting to enter leagues on Thursday for a Sunday main slate, sometimes even earlier, depending on how things are going. Uh, the intermediate level, you can probably still fill up all your, your entries really early Sunday, maybe make a first round of entries on Saturday night. But at the advanced stage for me, 
I basically will be in every single league on the main slate uh, every week, and I have to start entering right away, uh, usually to hit the number I want to have in there. So the timing's important. Uh, again, I think if you're just starting out with this process, playing you know a couple bucks a lineup per league and just seeing how it, how it goes over the course of you know ten weeks, I think is a good place to start. But uh, and remember what I had mentioned before: you always want to have ten lives. You know, you always want to have the ability to play play a week completely bomb. You want to have that ability about ten times. I would say uh, maybe maybe seven for you, six, eight, whatever. But you want to have that ability to fail because DFS is a lot of failure and learning how to see why you failed, which leads me to the final thing today uh, that I wanted to talk about, which is just journaling and, and failure and how you can use failure to get better at DFS. So let's talk about what does it look like to fail using the player pool? And I will tell you, it is when you set your bet up in the better position and the other outcome, the less likely or the less optimal outcome happens instead. So an example would be a a Joe Burrow stack with Mixon and Chase, uh, Jamar Chase. Those three, that's that's a lot of good exposure to a really good offense that should lead to a lot of points. But mark my words, one or two weeks this year, for whatever reason, Joe Burrow's going to throw a ton of yards and a couple touchdowns to T. Higgins, and the backup running back's going to get a goal line carry for a touchdown, and that's it. When those outcomes happen, the bad DFS player will go back and try to catch on to that magic and try to be there again when that shows itself again. The smart and good DFS player that doesn't have to deposit money on a weekly basis to keep playing knows that it's still more likely than not that the Burrow, Mixon, Chase stack is going to deliver more times than not over the T. Higgins stack. So, or the T. Higgins and, 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 you know, the bad outcome. So just, you need, when you fail, it's not an indictment of your knowledge or that you did something wrong. Sometimes the first question you need to ask yourself is, did the less optimal outcome just occur? Uh, that's in the range. If it's in the range of outcomes, if it all could have happened and it did, then then just call it what it is. And sometimes I literally am, am beating my chest after the main slate's going, I bombed today. I got zero back, yet I play all those lineups again if I could go back in time because I know that I play the best lineups or I take the best shots week to week regardless of the outcome sometimes. I will always sit there and play the best plays. And if the best plays don't work out for me in real time, in reality, on the slate, so be it. I'll be back there next week playing the exact same best play. Mark my words, T. Higgins will blow up a Burrow stack this year. The Philly running back nightmare will make a Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown stack not materialize this year. We'll have... Boston Scott running three touchdowns in this year. The reaction there is shit happens, right? The reaction should not be, I'm going to start plugging Boston Scott in, okay? Uh, You know, (laughs) I know this will definitely happen because I mentioned it already in the podcast prior, but I know now for certain, Kirk Cousins at some point this season, he's going to throw for 400 yards, four touchdowns, score 35 fantasy points, and be stacked up with 
two of his two or three of his receivers. I'm sure that'll take down the Millie at some point this year. But you're an idiot if you week to week you're trying to catch that magic. So that you got to be okay with failure in DFS and sometimes even tell yourself or know when you still played the best plays and the the worst player won anyway because he made the bad decisions. Over time, you're going to come out on top. The player pool, putting your lineups together every week, it's basically like there's five of us standing in front of a dartboard and you get to throw the guaranteed best darts at the board that are online that are going to be closest to the bullseye. And while you may pepper all around the bullseye and make the highest scores, you know, that one yay who's going to throw his terrible play that might actually nail the bullseye. Don't be upset. He scored one good point there. You're going to score five close to good points, and that's going to make you sustainable and carry you throughout the season. So every week in the face of failure, come back, work the process, keep pushing it forward, and you will be, if not just sustainable all season, but successful, and you'll have a lot of fun. So do not overreact again to the bad outcomes, the less optimal outcomes being realized, and definitely don't try to put that genie in a bottle and make it work for you. That's what the fish do. And I can guarantee you there's something the fish definitely don't do, which is keeping all of their player pools and notes in the same place, in the same journal. So I've gone out and just bought a college composite notebook. That's all I'm using. And I just keep all my player pools in the same spot so that when I'm back there creating or when I'm holding it in front of my face trying to make the right calls, there is some history there and there's some continuity of thought and development throughout the entire season. So make sure you're keeping all your player pool builds in one place. And at the end of the the slate on Sunday afternoon, right before Sunday night football kicks off with, you know, you have your results in front of you, go back and look at your lineup performances and look at how you labeled or built your player pool and ask yourself, was I just completely off? Is this player who bombed for me not in the role I thought he was? Or did the game just flow differently than I expected? Or did the wide receiver two just catch two long touchdowns that took away from the main focus of where they usually want to start feeding the wide receiver one? You just you have to ask yourself these these you know backward looking questions sometimes just to check yourself to say, do I need to make an adjustment? Uh, one, one trap I see a lot of players fall into is they'll just be so results-based. Guys will either say, you know, this player, let's, say, let's use A.J. Brown as an example. He's put up eight points only the last three games, so I'm not going to use him anymore. Or the opposite, they would say, he's only put up a little bit of points the last few games, so he's due for a big game. Those are the worst analysis. That, that type of analysis is how casinos have stayed in business. You have to be better than that. Ask yourself the question of, well, A.J. Brown's only scored eight points, but has his opportunity changed at all? No. Uh, has the game scripts or the flow of the, those last few games just not really been a, an environment where he would get a lot of usage? Were they just up? Were they playing these crappy teams that they could just run down, uh, run the ball down their throat? So you got to ask yourself those more contextual questions when evaluating a player when somebody says this player's due for a big game merely because he hasn't had a big game in the last three or four games that's just the most idiotic take and i've been guilty of it at one point in 
my DFS playing career, but that's why I'm here now in this podcast. I'm trying to to push you guys in, into a time machine and fast forward through all these ugly, dumb learning curves that I had to go to. So again, being results-based or purely looking at the game log research to be able to pick a guy or not, it's the most elementary fish move you can make. Ask yourself the stronger questions, the contextual questions, before you make a decision on if a player or your viewpoint of a player has changed. The journal is so helpful for that. If you consistently are having a guy marked down as your preferred, but then as you are asking yourself why your preferred didn't deliver for you this week, and then you look on the snap count website uh, that I gave you and see that the snap counts are slowly starting to go down, that is a that is a place where you say, okay, he's no longer a preferred of mine. Maybe he doesn't even make my player pool. But give yourself something real. Don't just say, oh, he sucks now. Or he's due for a big one. You're better than that. Because you're in the player pool now. And that's all I have to tell you before we get into the ebbs and flows of the season. I never thought it would take this many episodes or this much time to really speak out this entire player pool process to you guys. It has been kind of a dream of mine the last couple years to take somebody and truly impart this entire process, all these steps, all, all these things that you got to put together. I've always wanted to have kind of a, a test subject to see, can I recreate my own success and enjoyment and way of doing things in another person? So that's why I'm doing this podcast. And the, the weeks ahead, they may be rough. I don't know. I, we could all start on a four, five, six-week dry spell. I don't think that's likely, but it's possible. So if this is the last time that I have you as a listener on this podcast, I want to thank you so much for just buying in and, and tuning in every week. It's been amazing. We, we launched this on August 10th, and there hasn't been an episode where the viewership hasn't been higher. So it's spreading out there, and I, it means a lot to me, guys. And I just, I just really love – I've always loved fantasy football. As a kid, I would listen to my dad and how he would evaluate player opportunities, and I still think that's why I'm really good about identifying how a player gets opportunities or fits in an offense today. But I just want – this to be just that little extra thing that's in your guys' living rooms when you're watching football on Sunday. And this is a great connector too, because you know, whatever friends you have, they're in that in that slate with you or playing DFS with you. It creates so much good chatter throughout the week, so much good conversation. I would say there's been times where some of my core friend groups have literally been held together by our DFS talk throughout life as life continues to to go on and we all, you know, grow up and change. So I just want that for more people, and I'm so excited to have so many people embrace this process. So let's head into this season. Let's not try to dominate it all at once. It is a long season. For me, I'm only playing the main slates most of the year purely because the year is so long. Uh, but if you want to extend over into you know, noon slates or Thursday through Sunday slates, the player pool is going to be there for you. Uh, all I'll say is is if you aren't getting better results 
you got to get better at the process because you will not get better results until you are better at the process. So everyone's going to have their own pool, their own methods at the end of the season if you're there. Hone that baby. If you find good things, send it to me. Let's make each other better. I've said it a lot throughout the podcast, but I want to fail together with you so that we can succeed together. So week one is upon us. Friday, I'll be going over my perspectives on a few players where I categorize them in my player pool, as well as looking at some games and how they can flow. Friday is all about prep. It is all about week one. Please, if you haven't, follow me on Twitter, Player Pool Pod, or on Instagram, and shoot me messages, tweet at me, whatever you'd like to do, and we'll try to over, you know, between Friday and Sunday morning kickoff, we'll try to answer questions, deal with situations in real time. I'm so, so excited. Bring on the football season. Be back here Friday. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Player Pool Podcast. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Player Pool Pod.